Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Be on the lookout. Are you that kind of person? A bolo kind of person? I think you should be. Hey, I'm Paul. Good morning. Filling in for Carmen again on Mornings uh, Without Carmen here on Faith Radio. She'll be back on Monday. She and her family are enjoying their time down in Orlando, and hopefully they're doing well. Oh, by the way, some people asked because there were some storms that went through uh, Tennessee back was it Sunday night or something like that? And somebody texted in, is, is Carmen's okay? Carmen's place? So, yeah, they're fine. They're fine. The storms were north of them, thankfully. So, because, you know, you don't want to have to rush back from a vacation to deal with a disaster. But anyway, as we start off this morning on this Wednesday, again, being a bolo person, being a person who's on the lookout. Maybe you're a big fan of Christmas, so what are you looking out for? You look out for when Hallmark Channel starts showing all these Christmas movies. Or maybe you're more on the Christmas music side and you're on the lookout for the station in town that is playing the Christmas music. Or maybe after the Christmas season, you're one of those keeping your eye out for spring. You know, you look for the signs like when Major League Baseball training camp starts, which, by the way, February 22nd, right? Ryan's nodding. He is our our, uh, office sports enthusiast and knows. You probably have it in your calendar, don't you? You, Believe it or not, I don't. I love baseball, but my favorite season is college basketball season. So when I think of February, I'm not thinking about baseball. I'm thinking down the stretch in college hoops. Okay, okay. Point made, point made. Or, okay, another thing you look out for Christmas, or rather for spring, crocuses. A lot of people look for those, those early blooming flowers. Now, if you were a Jew, a Jew living 2,000 years ago, maybe you were looking for Messiah to come. And God gave numerous signs to be on the lookout for. You know, we've been talking about some of them this week as we've been reflecting on some of our Growing Your Faith verses A couple of signs we have looked at so far this week from the book of Isaiah. On Monday, we looked at the sign of the child who would be Emmanuel, God with us. Yesterday, we focused more um, on this child. We saw the sign of the child who would be born unto us in Isaiah Isaiah 9-6. What we didn't see, actually, okay, a few verses earlier... Uh, it talks about light shining in the dark lands of the Galilee of the nations, you know, Judea, uh, Galilee, where Jesus, hey, he grew up there. That's where much of his ministry was when he was here on earth. So there's one of those signs. I mean, people were saying, what good could come from Nazareth or from Galilee? Wait a minute. God had promised he would shine his light in Galilee. Why did people ignore that sign in his time? Anyway. Today, we're going to look at another one of the signs from Isaiah, kind of, and mostly our Growing Your Faith verse is Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
Now, the gospel writer Mark starts his account not like Matthew or Luke, looking at various you know aspects about his birth, the birth narratives that we would like to talk about this time of year, and the prophecies that pointed to that. I mean, that's what they focused on. Mark, he starts his gospel looking at when Jesus's earthly active ministry started when he was about 30 years old. And with that, there was a big sign to show up, the one who would be the forerunner. And Mark, looking for these signs, goes to the great prophet Isaiah, and also a minor prophet, believe it or not. He strings two texts together. Uh, The one from the minor prophet starts it out, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That's Malachi 3.1. But then he strings with it Isaiah 40, verse 3, which again is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. A little side note here. What Mark did, you're kind of going, wait a minute. Why is, getting, why is Malachi getting short shrift here? Wait, what's the deal? Well, very common in that time was stringing together the prophetic streams, you know, making those connections uh, in, in, from the Bible as they looked at it. And when that happened, for the sake of brevity, brevity and Mark is all about brevity. His is the shortest gospel. He just, okay, we're going to focus on, this is prophesied, and Isaiah's the major player. He's the major prophet. Sorry, Malachi. Well, not sorry, Malachi, but still, you you go with the bigger guy, and Isaiah was him, so that's why Isaiah gets the credit, you know, uh, there. So, okay, out of the aside, here's what's important. Before Messiah would start his active ministry, there would be that forerunner. And just as the angels told the shepherds, for unto us is born this day, which points back, like we said yesterday, to that for unto us, a child is born passage in Isaiah 9, 6, you know, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, prince of peace. There would be that one calling those who would listen to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that person... And Mark talks about this as to, as to the other gospel writers. They all point to John the Baptist. Now, for those who are humbly looking and longing for Messiah, they could easily see, yes, John is that prophetic forerunner. But there were those who weren't looking or their pride would prevent them from seeing it. So just as faithful Jewish people 2,000 years ago, or even the Magi from Persia, we're humbly looking for Messiah and his signs of his, his first coming. The question I have for you this morning, are you humbly looking for the signs of his second coming when he will come on the clouds and make all things new? Or is our pride, our preferences, like those of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Roman sympathizers of that time, is that going to block us from seeing our one true king? I sincerely hope not. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen, just Carmen away. I'm Paul, and over the Thanksgiving holiday, I found out that uh, one of my nieces and one of my nephews, their their families were expecting new babies. They'll be coming in late, uh, you know, late spring, early summer. So, again, the funny thing is, okay, um, they're both children of my brother Joe and his wife, Kelly. They had 12 kids. Now, I came from a large family. I'm number seven of nine kids that uh, my mom and dad had. And of all my siblings, uh, of those of us who had kids, because three did not, um, of those who had kids, we're all three or more. 
So we did our we did our job to make sure humanity continues. But these days, large families are an anomaly. In fact, birth rates in many parts of the world, including the U.S., have fallen below re- replacement rate. Meanwhile, when it comes to being parents, many millennials, especially women, fear becoming parents. Why is that? We're going to talk that over with Jeff Bilbro in just a bit. Jeff is from Grove City College, and he is also an editor at the Front Porch Republic. And what we're going to talk about is at his Water Dipper blog at uh, frontporchrepublic.com. This is Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot. Thank you for listening to Mornings with Carmen. Tread. Why is... Why is it that, unlike past generations, many young adults now dread having children? Hey, I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen. And uh, Jeff Bilbro from uh, the Front Poach Republic joins us. Uh, Jeff does a great job aggregating various news ideas every weekend at... You, you use up a lot of my time on the weekend, Jeff, because you have oh, such sorry in- about that. No, you're not. <laughs> you don't have to apologize. Yeah. Anyway, if you ever get to the Water Dipper blog, again, at Front Porch Republic, you'll find it there. Every Saturday, almost every Saturday, there's just a list of articles to get you thinking. And I love how you summarize, because that sometimes is all I need, but sometimes that summary kind of... Makes me dig deeper. And this was one of those, uh, an article that was in Vox. Now, by no means a friendly place as far as Christian thought. And yet, I find that sometimes their articles, I guess the phrase God haunted, uh, does work. And anyway, there was an article they had called How Millennials Learned to Dread Motherhood. I want you to tell us about that. Yeah, it's a really interesting essay, I think, because the author, um, as you say, you know, lives in secular circles and uh, does a nice job both articulating some of the uh, cultural messaging, I guess, that she and her peers receive about motherhood, but then also trying to question those assumptions. So she talks about how everyone she knows, uh, yeah, dreads being a parent. Um, that there's the kind of existential worry about climate crises, but there's also, uh, you know, worries about economics and cost and, and worries about how this might put a crimp in your lifestyle and make it so you can't, I don't know, uh, sleep in and go to Sunday brunch or something. <laughs> but, but as she talks to people and, and digs into the research, she finds, well, actually, most people who become parents enjoy it. <laughs> uh, they find that it's... Um, deeply delightful. And uh, one of the most interesting parts of the essay in my mind was when she says that uh, many of the people she interviews kind of admit off the record, as it were, that they like being moms. They think they have good parenting relation. You know, they and their husband, the the wife and husband uh, have worked out good arrangements. They don't feel like they're being taken advantage of. Um, But they think that saying they enjoy being parents is somehow um, like uh, betraying their class and their political ideology. So they they feel ashamed of the fact that they enjoy being mothers, which I found quite fascinating. I did too. It's like, okay, are you allowing the narratives of the day? And unfortunately, okay, I understand 
a lot of cultural things uh, as well as politics can get in the way of people's thinking. And then it's like, wait a minute, let's let's get this. Let's get back to let's get back to. Okay, God made a created order. I I understand she's not going to accept that premise, Uh, but there is a created order to things, and it, it it shocks me because people. Think so much about themselves, this hyper individualistic look at things, and about my life and about my happiness, and yet they don't see the connectedness from generation to generation. How God built that into our human race. That that and there's a joy in continuing that. Yeah, yeah. That that if we seek to prioritize what we think superficially will bring us ha- happiness. Uh, we're actually probably setting ourselves up for for loneliness and self-absorption and sadness. And when we, uh, you know, give ourselves to caring for other lives, other people, uh, then we receive great joy. And, you know, it's not always happy per se, but deep joy and um, and a, a new kind of satisfaction that we couldn't have imagined before. Exactly. As we continue our conversation, I'm going to want to go to the break a little early because the next article kind of ties into that because there's a lot of people concerned about the state of humanity. Uh, when we think about a lot of the other stuff that's being brought in, transhumanism, where maybe the next big step for humans is to become more <laughs> like AI or just be non-bodied, not embodied. And yet <laughs> – we're humans. Um, anyway, we're going to talk about that in just a few moments here as we continue our conversation with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College and the uh, one of the editors of Front Porch Republic, and he blogs every week, has this aggregation of news articles at the Water Dipper. Again, that's at FrontPorchRepublic.com. This is Mornings with Carmen. You've heard it said that it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You've also heard it sung, Let There Be Peace on Earth and Let It Begin With Me. Well, what about hope? What about hope? What does it take to get hope sparked? And what does it take to get hope moving uh, around the world? I got a hope hat. I got a hope shirt. I got a hope bumper sticker. I know a ministry of hope. I know people who need hope. But how do we actually give hope beyond bumper stickers and theme songs and ball caps? How do we help other people discover the hope that is real, substantial, and enduring? My guess is One reason you listen to this podcast is, well, it delivers hope. So as you're thinking about giving gifts this Christmas, have you considered giving others the gift of hope? You can give hope this season by supporting Faith Radio's Give Hope for Christmas campaign by sharing your story of hope at MyFaithRadio.com because hope begets hope. Pass it on. Christmas, a time of hope. But are you struggling with that this year? Something holding you down? Well, we want to be there to encourage you. So remember, you can still text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. Every couple of days, we'll text you some encouragement, and and we will be praying for you. So, yeah, text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. We want to do a part here at Faith Radio to encourage you this Christmas season and beyond. Getting back to our conversation with Jeff, Jeff Bilbro from Front Porch Republic. I'm Paul, by the way. This is Mornings with Carmen. And again, Jeff, you're always getting me. My Saturday mornings, again, I, as I say, is always fun just going down, I won't say they're rabbit holes, but 
there's a lot of there's a lot in our culture that you know we we live like we're always in an existential crisis, and in some ways we are. And yet, a couple of articles, one about preserving hope for humanity, and I want you to explain this because at first it's kind of a um, book review, but there's more to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I recently read this book by Adam Kirsch. It's quite short, maybe a hundred pages on um, the the connection between um, kind of environmentalist anti-humanism, the sense that humans are damaging the planet and uh, you know, the, the world would be better off without us. And uh, on the other hand, uh, sort of transhumanists or post-humanists, you know, maybe centered in Silicon Valley, thinking about how we can upgrade the human body through technology or biotechnology. And uh, on the one hand, they seem pretty different. You know, one group wants presumably kind of untainted nature, and the other is looking for some kind of suprahuman technology. But both of them, Kirsch points out, um, reject the human. And mm-hmm. uh, there's this deep anti-human sort of impatience with the body. And, and Kirsch, uh, I guess, is sort of speaking for, you know, secular humanism, like maybe there's something good about being human, but this essay is in Commonweal uh, by Gilbert Meander. And, and so he's a Christian and he says, well, you know, humans uh, are good, but not, they're not the sole standard of value. Right. So maybe the real answer to these anti-humanisms is to, for, is for Christians to reaffirm uh, an understanding of the goodness of our humanity insofar as it, um, reflects and enacts the image of God and recognizing um, the word made flesh, Christ, as mm-hmm. the the standard for uh, good humanism. Right. And, and that's the, I think therein lies the problem. I mean, we got to re- reckon with the fact, okay, God created us. When he created us, it was good. We were made in his image. So right there, and it's, there right there's a starting point. We're, we're meant to reflect something else. Yeah, and if we just, um, you know, recognize that we're tarnished and hence turn further away from God, you know, right. if you want to re- remake um, us in our own image, that's only going to further distort uh, our responsibility of manifesting the, the presence of God to others and to, to the rest of creation. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've been wrestling with myself and in some of my studies. You know, I've been reading a lot on Abraham Kuyper and stuff, and I know that's mm-hmm. for a lot of people. It's like, who's he? Uh, but it, it gets down to this this vision of okay, when God created, yeah, humanity was when he, if you follow the created order and and the narr- the uh, the the creation narrative, man was the pinnacle when that made because it was made for us. And then from there, right. we're, we're given this command to, okay, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the word subdue, but create, it was the, uh, the uh, creation, oh, I'm, trying, I'm having mental block. Mandate. Mandate, there you go. Yeah. We, we were called to be fruitful, multiply, and yeah. create culture, create things. He gave us the raw materials for us. Now, do we do it perfectly, especially because we're fallen? No. Um, but... That's still our call. And I, I kind of go with the earth. A lot of people say we're destroying the earth. But at the same time, I, I'm kind of wondering more and more looking at that. Would the earth survive <laughs> if there wasn't humanity? 
it's kind of a give. Okay, the fall is making it so we're destroying things. But if the fall wasn't an issue, I think we were here to keep humanity or keep creation growing and yeah. going. Yeah, I mean, in the garden, God says to Adam and Eve to to till and keep, to cultivate and keep. You know, the, on the one hand, to to keep what's there, to honor and respect what's there. But on the other hand, to cultivate and make and redeem and improve. So that tension, right, mm-hmm. uh, that we have obligation to creation uh to recognize what's there and not destroy it but also to actively participate in in its lives and health that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of defines the human calling speaking of which that brings us now to another article you have about uh, warm planet cool heads where okay right now we live in a world we just had what was the uh the cop 28 conference and they still weren't able to come up with a resolution to uh you know ban fossil fuels and such um but Okay, our use of fossil fuels, is it impacting the world? It might be to some degree. I'm, I'm not – it's hard to know exactly. But there's other issues apart from just carbon, which, by the way, carbon – I know a lot of people look at it as um, a pollutant, but it's also the base of human and much of life on the planet. So it's like, well, carbon is actually a good thing in its proper use. But I, I, that's an aside. Climate, uh, climate alarmism has almost become – shall we say, a, a religion. And this, uh, this article you talk about uh, kind of addresses that. Yeah, Nick Claremont has this good essay reviewing uh, Mike Holmes' new book, Climate Change Isn't Everything. And you know, I think this is a good approach because um, Holm is not, you know, he's not a climate denier. He thinks, yeah, this is, is causing problems. You know, maybe it's increasing drought in some places. It's, it's certainly causing disruptions. But there's many competing goods that need to be um, held in tension here uh, and, and simply seeing it as a kind of one uh, monocausal issue where we just need to decrease fossil fuel emissions and that will fix the problem is really simplistic and short-sighted. Uh, it, it, you know, neglects the many ways that humans could harm creation and it neglects the many ways that um, the many problems that we have to deal with, right? That uh, energy can really help alleviate human poverty and certain forms of energy can actually uh, help humans to um, alleviate other kinds of environmental damage. So just getting rid of um, emissions is not the, the single goal that we should be uh, setting for ourselves. No, it, it shouldn't. Go yeah. ahead. Go and, ahead. And climatism, climatism just kind of seems to, anyway, collapse down to that one goal and neglect the broader complex issues about how should we as humans live well in and with the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really comes down to that because there's so many different factors. I, it, we have to think about the economic and also the human cost, the yeah. ecological cost. I mean, okay, people are saying let's go electric. Well, that has a whole bunch of problems with it as well, if not properly addressed, including yeah. the mining of, of rare earth metals, which ecologically is not a good thing. Uh, there's so many issues to be – actually, okay, I want you to respond to this because I heard this um, – it was a few weeks ago. I was watching a video of a seminar being done by uh, Providence Magazine, which you know is Christian thought and, and foreign policy yep. and such, and – Oh, I wish I would have written down the name of the person who said it, but it nailed it to me. He talked about mid-level theories that can explain only some things. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it be, you know, uh, well, you know, you can talk about critical theory as being one of those or sure. even even some of this climate, you know, climate activism. They explain some things, but when you totalize, when you make yeah. that one thing the everything, then everything's then it throws things out of balance. And it doesn't explain everything because there's so many other factors to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. It's like climatism recognized the problem, but then, you know, through a variety of reasons, it's become sort of ideological and, well, Hume says it's just too narrow. It only sees one problem rather than thinking about, well, maybe, you know, if we increase natural gas usage, we can actually decrease coal consumption, which would be good, uh, you know, but we that's, that's off the table because that's not net zero mm-hmm. or... Um, you know, maybe certain forms of agriculture uh, are going to use more carbon, but have other benefits. Again, uh, we can't we can't entertain those possibilities because it's not net zero. So, yeah. having one sort of standard really um, causes a, a warped perception of the real challenges we face. Yeah, it really does. Well, uh, since this is our last conversation in 2023, uh, Jeff, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and uh, anything, actually, big Christmas tradition you and your family have? Oh, we always uh, have a lot of good food. We uh, <laughs> eat a lot of lefsa, which is a... Uh, hey, yes! Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's a big... I, my mom has made that, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to gathering around the table and enjoying some lefsa. <sighs> Yeah, I, I come from uh, the upper Midwest, a lot of uh, Scandinavian right. families. They know their lefsa. It is good. It is good. Yeah. Okay, how, what do you put on your lefsa, though? We usually do just turkey, potatoes, gravy, um, cranberries. I know that's not always the traditional way, but kind of have our, I guess, the American-style lefsa. Oh, okay, okay. Not Well, I mean, there's there's a sugar or butter and all that. Right, or, yeah, sweet ones, yeah. You gotta, yeah, anyway. Well, you have a Merry Christmas, Jeff, and thank you for your part in uh, Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. You likewise, Paul. Have a great, uh, great Advent Christmas season. Thank you. You too. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen, helping you apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. And I do hope you're praying for the situation as it continues to unfold in the Middle East, as it has for oh over two months now. With again the latest news about uh, the war, one of the things is the Israeli defense forces now pumping seawater into those massive underground uh, tav- uh, caverns and uh, that subterranean network of caves, or rather tunnels that uh, the uh, that Hamas has been using as a way of flushing them out. Meanwhile, the UN General Assembly, by a very wide margin, voting to pass a resolution calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in the Hamas-Israeli conflict, the resolution demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire, the imminent and unconditional release of all, immediate and unconditional release of all hostages, as well as ensuring humanitarian access, which... Okay, well, yes, that needs to happen, the humanitarian access for the uh, for the Palestinians needing to flee. Now, the U.S. was one of those voting against the resolution for good reason. Prior to the resolution, two amendments making specific reference to Hamas as an extremist state were voted down by members. This, this conflict, again, is like so many. It causes polarization, and not just for nations, but for people. As God's kingdom people, how should we be praying and how should we engage well? Well, coming up shortly, we'll talk with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about prayer in this situation, among other things happening around the world, and how your brothers and sisters are engaging. 
This is Mornings with Carmen. Find your place in the story. I love that banner on the banner of Mission Network News' website. Uh, Ruth Kramer joining us right now. I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen. Ruth, uh, explain that banner, that, 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 that phrase you have, finding your place in the story. It's an invitation to our readers and listeners to engage with the things that are happening in their communities and the world around them um, with the idea that they are the light. They are bringing in the hope of the gospel into situations that might not otherwise have that uh, that hope quotient. And it's an invitation to um, find their place, you know, in the story. It's it's the, the the story of God. It's our story. It's our faith walk. It's all of those kinds of things. Um, and it, it came about because so many people were telling me at some point, you know, in in our in the journey here with Mission Network News, why they stopped listening to the headlines, why they stopped engaging with news, um, and and it felt a little bit like um, folks were were very uncomfortable with the ugliness that was happening around them in the world, and mm-hmm. that you know you have wars and rumors of wars and conflict and all of these really hard stories, and people were saying, I don't know what to do with this stuff. You know, it just it's depressing. And persecution is a downer, and and it's all true. Yeah. But they have to take a big step behind, you know, take a big step back, and then look at God's fingerprints. It's almost like a a white space, you know, when you see an artist that draws an image by drawing all around the image, and then you see that image emerging um, as a result. Um, that's God's fingerprints in these stories. That's where the hope of the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ and the Prince of Peace come into play as a solution to things that we can't actually fix with our own two hands. We have to believe that um, prayer is enough, that God, the creator of the universe, is enough, that he sent his son in an amazing answer to a, a crying uh, need that that existed because because of the broken fellowship um so finding your place in the story is simply an invitation to look at what's going on around you and figure out how you can be part of the solution i think it's so important we revisit that that thought because again i look at that and i kind of go the story god has a story he's working out in humanity his redemptive work and you know the the coming kingdom it's like and we get to be part of it and so it's like how do you not want to engage it even in the ugliness that some of it we're going to talk about in the next few minutes here because again mission network news uh mission uh org is the easiest way to get there and the biggest messy news or one of the biggest pieces of messy news right now is the situation in the holy land and here it is we're how many days into hanukkah um and it's it's been a rough time for Israel celebrating this year. It has, but it makes the celebration I think even more meaningful for people uh, as they are marking um, the history of their people, um, and, and yet another attempt to stamp out who they are. Um, you know, Hanukkah has that history, that rich history of uh, what has been happening, and and at some point, I think it was. Um, 160-something BCE, uh, I think maybe 164, <laughs> um, it was a, a Syrian occupation 
and the Maccabees were the ones that were successful in in their revolt. So it's the Maccabean revolt and the rededication of the Temple of Jerusalem in the second century. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what they're celebrating. So each night they're remembering the hope that came about that where God provided things, where there was miraculous um, answer and and God showed up, you know, in this kind of thing. And And it's a reminder again for the people that are struggling, who have still got loved ones, who are being held captive, who have lost loved ones because of the conflict um, of who God is, and they're asking God to show up. And the chant that they're that you're hearing with these things in in in, um, in response to the prayer that comes as they light the candles is now, 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 mm. um, because they're asking for God to be present in a really hard situation. Um, we have a partner that is in Israel um, and serving with the uh, the. Mm. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, the congregation. It's the Beit Halal congregation in Ashdod. There are like seven congregations that this pastor uh, works with in, in Israel. But this one specifically is in Ashdod. And what they're doing as people are trying to celebrate Hanukkah during uh, a point where you don't know when the rockets are going to hit where you are. You know, a lot of people are taking shelter and living in the bomb shelters right now, nobody can leave and mm. get food or, or get the things that come with just daily living, never mind the celebration of Hanukkah. So there's 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 this loss, there's this absence that takes place as well. And when you know that there are, are things that are happening around you um, that should be a a spiritual celebration. And it's it's really hard to stay focused on that. So the pastor is Israel Pakhtar. Yeah, And he's saying that he's mobilized a, a group of church volunteers who are actually taking aid to people who are living in the bomb shelters in the South. Um, they've got, you know, bulletproof vests and they're wearing helmets as they show up and, and bring food aid and, and some of the things that just people need to survive because you've got mothers and children and, and Holocaust survivors that, that are just trapped. Um, and, and basically what he's saying is that as people are finding him, uh, and contacting him, uh, they are they're they're coming alongside the ministries that are hands and feet of Christ on the ground because they are hands and feet of Christ. Yeah. They really want to make sure that 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 hope quotient gets injected into just the humanitarian aid, meeting the physical need, but also providing opportunity for an introduce uh, an, an introduction to Jesus Christ. Yeah, it, this is amazing me too because again, you're talking about Pastor Israel and his. Uh, Beit Halal congregation, they're they're Christians. They're Messianic Jews. Oftentimes, they're viewed with, you know, contempt, suspicion, or whatever. And yet, they're risking their lives for their fellow Jews who may not be Christian yet, who may not be Messianic Jews, but they're risking their lives for them as a, as a witness to the gospel. It's it, amazing. It is, and and that's what opens a lot of the doors um, for the opportunity to make an introduction to Jesus Christ because their question is, why are you doing this? Why are you risking your personal safety to come and meet our needs? You know, the, the suspicion is is kind of displaced by surprise and it's an, a wonderful opportunity. I mean, it's a hard situation and, and there's grief in the midst of all of this. So there's a, there's a point of building relationship and just offering a hand, a cup of cold water in Jesus's name. And we found this to be true in any situation where you have a crisis like this. Mm -hmm. uh, people are brought to the ends of themselves 
and they start looking around and going, you know, what's the point? Where's the hope? I need something to hang on to, to be able to survive into tomorrow. And then a Christian comes along and says, we're giving this to you in the name of Christ because there are people on the other side of this world who are concerned for you, who love you like Jesus does, and want to help you. And here this aid is in in the name of Christ. And then they, they, it just opens another door to conversation. Um, and and it's it's turned into an unexpected opportunity. You know, we don't want to make that sound like um, – Something it isn't, but it's it's an opportunity for conversation that didn't exist prior to the situation. An opportunity out of genuine love, which yeah. is, yeah. Again, we're talking with Ruth Kramer. You can read about this at uh, missionnews.org. And um, I, I know we weren't planning on talking about it, but I've heard of similar things happening on the even on the Palestinian side because there are – they're a small group in Gaza of Christian believers, but they have done – Amazing heavy lifting. Yeah, we've got partners in in Palestine as well. Um, we've got partners who are working through Gaza, through the West Bank, um, mm-hmm. from Lebanon side. You know, uh, and and they're all reaching out to people who are in need. Um, for the the folks in Lebanon, uh, they've been kind of in, in an ongoing crisis since 2019, and it, every time you have something happen, you've got waves of displacement. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, partners in Lebanon, they're dealing with thousands of people who uh, have been displaced through the Syrian war, through the port explosion, through the economic collapse, and all of this stuff. And now you've got this other wave of displacement because of the shelling that's going on between Israel and Hezbollah at the southern border. Um, 35,000 people have been displaced mm-hmm. again in Lebanon, and these ministries are reaching out to them and just saying, you know, we're going to help you where we can. We don't expect anything. This is coming to you in the name of Jesus Christ because mm-hmm. we love you the way Christ does. Yeah. And again, it's another opportunity. It is another opportunity. And uh, you, your partner there, you're talking about Heart of Lebanon and, again, in the midst of, again, further displacement as the – Tension in the uh, in the area escalates is an, a great opportunity to help these local ministries uh, do what they need to do to help out their uh, uh, help out the people in their in their area. So I'm stumbling over that. Anyway, Ruth uh, Kramer is our guest, and okay, we live in a time that's so polarized right now. Uh, how we view the war in Israel is a prime example. So as believers, how do we pray through that? We're going to talk about that with Ruth in just a few moments. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. So are you praying for Ukraine and Russia and that situation? Are you praying for the conflict between Hamas and Israel? Are you praying? <laughs> Maybe you're going, oh, I want. I just don't know what to pray. Okay, Ruth uh, Kramer from Mission Network News is my guest. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen this week on Mornings with Carmen and great article up. 
because again, in our polarized times, Ruth, we we need to keep kingdom eyes open. So help us with this. You know, you asked a good question. Do you pray for both Ukrainians and Russians to know Christ's love? Do you, mm-hmm. We ask the Holy Spirit to stir the hearts of both Israelis and the Palestinians. Um, I think when we we ask God to reveal people on both sides of the conflict, to see them and love them the way that he does, he will do that. I, I, it's a big prayer, though, because you need to be ready for the answer because it might require require some further response. And it can be pretty uncomfortable. Um, it was, uh, it was something where I don't know. We were at a, at, I was at a missions conference not too long ago, and we were praying for the situation in Afghanistan. And I found myself praying for the evangelist who is going to bring the hope of the gospel to the Taliban, mm-hmm. asking God to change the Taliban's hearts. And that's a big prayer because that means that somebody's going to have to be bold enough to be that witness to a hostile group in a in a very difficult situation, possibly at the cost of their own lives. Um, so when we're talking about this, uh, we just want to encourage people to be praying for God's eyes. You know, we hear the phrase a lot, break my heart for what breaks yours. Yeah. And this is applicable in this kind of a situation. Ask yourself those kinds of questions and remember who the enemy is. Um you know, Ephesians 6, 12, the whole passage, 12 through 20, talks about spiritual warfare um, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And that who that is who the enemy is. So remember the enemy when we're looking at these kinds of situations and find find what you can do in response to this situation, ask God to reveal to you to you what he would have you do. And then ask yourself what would happen if you just said yes. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about some of the events we've talked about. And for example, the uh, the earth it was an earthquake in Morocco earlier this mm-hmm. year. And there was that huge flood that happened in in, in Libya. Is that right? I think that's right. Well, there was some flooding in Libya. There's been, well... <laughs> I'm just remembering some of these big events that happened that were in the news headlines. Yeah, yeah. And my whole prayer, and I, as I continue to pray, or even thinking about Iran, because, you know, Iran's behind Hezbollah and Hamas and like that. And yet I know also the church in Iran is growing by leaps and bounds, one of the fastest growing churches. And my prayer is for God, renew them expand your your church, your kingdom there, and let that have that natural influence on that culture. I, I pray the same for Morocco and for Libya and other places, too. So I'm going to make a suggestion okay. here. People still struggle with how do I pray for, you know, mm-hmm. fill in the blank. Um, our sister ministry is PrayerCast. Okay. PrayerCast. Okay, so it's one word, PrayerCast.com. And in all of those tabs, you have all these different countries uh, that are listed. You have different terror groups that are represented here where you have members of that community who have become followers of Christ coming out of their com- that community and praying for the needs within mm. it. So if you there, – there's a, there's, a, there's a Hezbollah tab. That means someone from Hezbollah became a follower of Christ and they're praying for the members of Hezbollah. Mm. That's one way to pray because you're praying through and with that brother who has come out 
and 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 he is he he knows the needs. Hmm. So you know what I say, Hezbollah needs Christ. Yes, you would agree intellectually. You would agree, mm-hmm. but when someone who was a member of Hezbollah or a member of Hamas or a member of the Taliban comes out and says, "My these these people, the Taliban, this group." The you know Hamas Hezbollah need Christ. It means something entirely different. So I would encourage you if you don't know where to start with this kind of thing and these prayer call to actions and things like that that we have in the articles, um, really aren't specific enough for you, and you don't have enough context to go with that. And you want to pray alongside someone who is praying for the members of that community. Go to prayercast.com. It's our sister ministry. Look for the different groups that are there because all of the countries are represented, but also many, many organizations. And I say organizations as in terror groups. <laughs> um, many of the um, uh, sects are represented, Hindus, Muslims, all of that stuff. It's all there. There are videos to be praying alongside that. So Those are can, cool yeah. videos. I will yeah, tell so you right there. Yeah, so you've got some context there. Mm-hmm. See what's going on. Um, and to understand what's happening behind the headlines. And you can pray alongside them. It will inform your prayers even more. And then we have to say, you know, what more could God do through us, his people, if we knew how to pray? That's Mm -hmm. one of the answers. Yeah. Okay, we have about another minute here, and I do want you to talk about, this is one of those good news stories at, again, missionnews.org, about an oral Bible that right now is going viral in Ethiopia. This is really cool. Spoken Worldwide is the partner. They've been working for about three and a half years with a people group that was previously unreached. They're called the Barana. The subgroup of this is the Oromo people. And the Oromo people are really remote. They're very, very cut off and very unreceptive to the gospel. So the project has been uh, translating portions of God's word into the Barana languages. Um, And what was really interesting is one of the local leaders who was heading up this project was heading to a celebration for one of the completed translations, but bandits had blocked the road that, you know, he needed to go on. So he stopped at a small cafe to wait for them to be cleared out. And as he was sitting there drinking his coffee, he was listening to what was coming out over the Bluetooth speaker playing in the cafe and realized that those the stories he was hearing were actually the oral stories that he had helped to translate. So somewhere <laughs> along the line, the cafe's owner got a hold of that recording and was so struck by it that he started playing the stories of the Bible in his cafe. And people that were listening, his patrons were coming in and finding it so interesting because many of these people have never heard um, of these stories in their own language. So they were they were struck by the truth that they were hearing, and they were taking their phones and going up to the speaker and recording these Bible <laughs> stories, and then sharing them on their social media with other people. So that's how it went viral, you know. And all oh. these people were starting to hear and listen and and respond to the Word of God, and it was very interesting because they already had a listening community by the time the team came back to try to establish a listening community. So it was it was really cool. Uh, and most of these translators who are working on oral Bible translation never know how it strikes people. Mm. So this was a kind of a, one of those things where uh, he was just reassured that what he was doing was having impact. It was laying seeds that had in, a, in ground that was already ready for, recept- oh, for receiving it. God goes before. <laughs> 
That's such good news there, Ruth. Thank you for sharing it. And again, thank you for your part. Again, this is the last time we'll talk to you this year. We look forward to talking to you more next year here on Mornings with Carmen. But we wish you a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. Ruth Kramer again with Mission Network News. Go to missionnews.org. And yes, find your place in the story. Well, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. And as we wrap up our number one of today's Mornings with Carmen, some other good news, if you haven't heard yet. Dr. Tony Evans, who you hear on Faith Radio, the alternative, which comes your way in the evening. Uh, about four years ago, he lost his wife, Lois. They'd been married for almost just shy of 50 years. Well, it was announced over the weekend, Dr. Evans has remarried he married Dr. Carla Crummy in a private ceremony, and uh, in the announcement, Priscilla Schreier, uh, along with Jonathan Evans, Anthony Evans Jr., and Crystal Evans-Hurst were all part of it, celebrating, yes, their, their you know, Lois, their mom, and uh, Tony Evans' f- former wife, but also looking forward to continued ministry and welcoming Carla into the family. So, let's celebrate with them. Again, this is Mornings with Carmen. Remember to... Uh, Share us. Share our podcast. You can find them at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.